Hi, friends. Today we are finishing our series, Our Mess, His Message, on the letter to the first, the first letter to the Corinthians. Um, it's been a great series. We are in chapter 15 this week as we, you know, tie it all together. Um, it's been super helpful to me. I feel like I've learned uh, a little bit about my mess, um, and a lot about God's message. Uh, and today, uh, Paul writes to the church 2,000 years ago and says that God doesn't want to make them better. He wants to resurrect them. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to resurrect us. The spiritual life is not about uh, improvement. It's about transformation. It's about diving into God's love so completely and totally that everything that is not of God just, just dies, falls off, and we are reborn, remade, transformed into our unique creative selves. See, we think that that this this is, is a refurb, you know, throw a little paint on it, move it around, change this, change that, and my, my life will, will be good. God says, it's not a refurb, it's a rebuild, and it's going to be glorious. When I started following Jesus, I didn't think there's that much that needed to change. You know, I was basically a good person. Life was basically good. I was in college, so, you know, I'd achieved one life goal. Um, sure, there were... Um, things I wanted to be a little happier. I'm certain I, I think I was aware that I had some emotional work I needed to do and I wasn't partying too much. I wasn't getting invited to too many parties. That helps. I did not think that my life needed to be transformed. I think it need, I thought it needed to be improved, but I didn't think it needed to be transformed. And throughout my Christian life, I have assumed that God wants to just improve my weaknesses not totally remake me so that I have the freedom to experience the fullness of life in a totally new and different way. One of the biggest problems of the church here in uh, Corinthians is that they thought they had arrived. They thought that they were really spiritual. They thought that they were really good Christians. If they knew they weren't, they kind of went easy on themselves, were lenient with themselves, made excuses for themselves. But they thought that they were kind of like the best Christians around. They thought they were doing well. They thought that they had it right, certainly, that they were right about stuff. The Christian life is a journey or a transformation. Look at one of the earliest faith fathers, Abraham. He was, he was settled. He was doing fine. He was good. You know, had a, a experienced middle age. You know, he was, he was stable and he was doing well. And then God said, I'm going to take you on a journey to a place you don't even know about. And the dude has spent years and years the rest of his life traveling and, and journeying. Look at the disciples. They spent three years with Jesus and they had barely gotten started. You know, who here just wants to get there. It just wants to get to a decent place, be, be good, be, be right, be settled in, be relatively healthy. Who wants to just get there already? Well, if you feel like God has you on a journey, that's good because we have not arrived. God is transforming us. God is taking us on a journey so that we can experience the full, free life that God has for us. So let's pray together and we'll get into this great passage this morning. And Jesus, we thank you uh, that this life is actually a rebuild that you are taking us from the ground up and it is going to be glorious and amazing. Thank you that you have big plans for us, that you want more for us actually than we want for ourselves. 
We open our hearts and our minds to you this morning. We open our hearts and our minds this morning to the possibility of transformation. Improvement is possible with ourselves. Transformation is only possible with you. So we orient ourselves, we reorient ourselves and change uh, our orientation, opening our hearts and our minds to you. To the greatness and bigness of your love, Jesus. To the hope and possibility and potential found in following the Lord God. And Jesus, uh, you are not some big idea up in the sky. You are Jesus of Nazareth, who walked and talked and healed and died and rose again. You are Jesus of Nazareth. We welcome your smile over us. Would you examine our hearts and our lives this morning and change us and transform us? In Jesus' name, amen. Paul addresses is the issue of Jesus' resurrection and the future hope of Jesus' followers. There were some people in the church who were saying that the idea of resurrection is ridiculous and doesn't really matter to being a Christian. And Paul reacts to this big time. He begins by saying that the resurrection is an indispensable part of the gospel. We believe in it because of the hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive in a physical body after being publicly executed by the Romans. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul says, then his death was meaningless. We are all still lost in our sin and selfishness. We should just stop being Christians. Paul then shows in detail how the resurrection was Jesus' victory over death and evil, how it's a source of life and power for us now in the present, and how it's a promise of future hope for the whole world. It's because of the resurrection that we have a reason to be unified around Jesus. It's the reason we have motivation for sexual integrity. It's the source of power for loving other people more than ourselves. And ultimately, it's our hope for victory over death. And so, Paul concludes, we do believe Jesus was raised from the dead. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul writes them and he says, Let re me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12 disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So there are a lot of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus walking around after he died. Uh, this is obviously shocking. We know what happens to people who hung on crosses. They had seen this kind of gruesome, terrible death before. He was then seen by James and later by all of the apostles. 500 people after his death saw him. So you see, moving forward to verse 21. So you see, just as death came into the world by one man through Adam, all of us die, all of us have uh, the effects of sin and death. Now, the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, we are all children metaphorically of Adam and Eve, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But some may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will we have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, 
It doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow. You don't bury the tomato plant, you bury the seed. You only bury a bare seed of the wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of of flesh, one kind for humans, another animals, another birds, another for, for fish. What, what are, so this is getting into some specifics here about how we will be resurrected uh, in the end. But we, we follow the pattern of a seed and a plant. We have this life as, as a seed, and then we will be raised, resurrected, same but totally different. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. We will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness. They will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies. They will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as they are natural bodies, so too they are spiritual bodies. Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So Jesus was raised from the dead. We, when we follow Jesus, we follow his path of death and of resurrection. Moving on to the end, what I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. A new body is necessary for what's coming um, when God transforms everything back to his original creation design. Uh, what happens after Christ will be resurrected. We got a long way to go, guys. Buckle up. You are in for a lot. We will be dramatically changed. None of us have arrived compared to what's coming like. We have barely even gotten started. We are buried in brokenness. And we'll be raised in glory. We are buried in weakness. We'll be raised in strength. This is the spiritual path of following Christ, cross and resurrection, death and new life. We are buried in brokenness. We will be raised in glory. Good stuff. Well, as we complete uh, our, our look through 1 Corinthians, let's look at ourselves. You know, we are clearly not resurrected yet uh, in the full sense, but what this passage points us to is that God wants to transform us. Uh, what does that mean for us today? If we are following the spiritual pa- paradigm, the core of the Christian message, death and resurrection, what does that mean for us today? Well, to be resurrected, you do have to die first. Jesus said in the Gospels, he was teaching his followers, and he said, uh, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains just a little seed, but its death will produce many new seeds, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. So the spiritual life is about surrender. You know, we start with, with baptism. We, we go under the water that, that could kill us. Then we're raised to new life. Uh, it's an image of, of dying and raising uh, in, in baptism. If we hold on to our seed, if we want to protect our seed, it will never be raised and transformed into something more, into something greater. And this can be hard. 
Because we look at our little life and we want to protect it. We want to preserve it. The seed cannot understand what's going to happen to it. The seed doesn't think, oh yeah, I'm sure breaking apart and then getting dirt on me and then, you know, everything, this will be fine. Yeah, no, I want to protect myself. The seed cannot understand what's going to happen to it. What happens if the seed gets really nervous and says, you know what, I got a good thing going right here, right now. I'm just going to stay the way I am. We cannot stay the way we are if God is going to raise us and transform us and produce new good things in us. We cannot stay the way we are. You know, I think about protecting that little seed, protecting your comfortable space, self-preservation. We feel comfortable with self-preservation. That feels good. You know, I know what I'm dealing with. I know what I got to work with. You know, I want to keep life the same. It may not be amazing, but at least I know what's going on. Uh, as some of you, m- many of you may know by now, uh, I am a twin. I have a twin sister. And uh, my husband calls being a twin a cheap party trick. And it is true. You you enter a, a group of people, and uh, it doesn't matter what you bring to the party. It does not matter if you got any good jokes. It does not matter if you bring a yummy dish for, for the potluck. There's two of you. And it's like, it's really a cheap party trick. There's two of you. And this is basically how I survived all through middle school, all through high school. You know, I may have been wearing, you know, whew, who knows what I was wearing that, um, you know, we, we bought from the thrift store and whatever. But hey, there's two of me. Um, I was a painfully shy uh, kid growing up. Um, so having that best friend, having that um, wingman always with me, it just, it fit. Um, I had somebody with me, somebody to do life with me. And I mean, we were cool because we just looked the same, right? Most of us do not get to be cool just by, you know, the way we look, but when it's doubled that, that helps somehow. And, um, you know, then we, we had to set out and have our own life and make our own paths uh, in life. You hear sometimes stories about uh, twins who, like, live next to each other. and um, I'm sure they've worked this out very well. Actually, at this point in life, I would really love to spend more time with my twin. We could really come back together again. But I had to go through a kind of painful time uh, in, my, in my 20s of separating of developing my own identity, of not holding on to that safety net of like just having someone else who's with me. And that was, that was my thing, my shtick. I had to let go of that. And there was pretty deep seated, um, identity piece, um, that I had to let go of that safety of, of that security. Many of us do have things in life like that it can be a relationship. It can be work, uh, identity, something that's just your comfort zone. It makes you feel like you're you and you hold on to it. Um, it changes through different life stages. Sometimes it's work, uh, sometimes it's grandkids, um, but it's something that we hold on to for our identity. Um, it makes us feel comfortable. Um, you know, if we have less of that, it, give, it makes us, it gives us anxiety, makes us insecure. What makes you feel comfortable? What gives you your safe place where you say, ah, this is how life is. It may not be amazing, but this is how life is. What is it for you? We all want to hold on to our seeds. Sometimes our seeds can be, you know, 
fights with with a spouse, with a friend or, or a family member, hey, it's not great, but at least it's stabilizing. We know our boundaries. You know, we always have got, you know, their problem to go back to. We hold on to our obligations. I would, but I have to stay close. I would, but I have work. You know, our obligations can be things of a seed that we're unwilling to let go of to, to God to grow and transform into something more, something new. Being a seed and dying is hard, but the seed carries in it a destiny for, for flowering and, and flourishing that is more than it could ever know. We see this concept of self-preservation, of holding on to what's familiar versus transformation. We see that in our communal life together. Groups of people get together and they say, mm, how can we stay the same? Not push forward, not expand, not transform, not make our communities better, but just stay the same. One of the um, great scholars on uh, 1 Corinthians on the New Testament says, the resurrection addresses those who insist on protection and security of the individual institutions or country. Such persons set up mechanisms of defense along economic, racial, national lines. In sharp contrast, though, the life of the spirit with its hope in the resurrection does not indeed cannot dwell on the preservation of things the way they are, personhood, institutions, nature. Rather, the corporate life of the Christian becomes risk. A Christian hospital can accept more welfare patients than economically advisable because it knows God's love for the poor does not depend on its continued existence. Christians can call for disarmament in the midst of a cold war because they know the future of the world does not depend on the survival of their nation. A Christian can risk his or her life because a Christian knows this life is not the end. And this is um, Graydon Snyder, and it's a little dated. But he says, as a community, uh, communally, Christians can open themselves up to risk, open themselves up to transformation uh, in ways that non-Christians can't because we have to preserve what we have. But we know that if a seed falls into the ground and dies, that it transforms and becomes way more than it could ever be otherwise. All of us live looking in the mirror. All of us live through a filter of ourselves. So seeing this can be really hard. We check the mirror in the morning and we keep on checking back throughout the day. We live our life through ourselves. So expanding to see how uh, the promise of resurrection and transformation uh, uh, can be hard. When I'm confronted with my failures, I don't see transformation and resurrection. I just see that I need to try harder. Okay, I didn't do this right. I failed. I didn't love this person well. I didn't handle this argument well. I was too tough on myself. I had a lot of negative self-talk. I said, okay, I'll try harder. But then nothing changes. And the reason that nothing changes is because I am still focused on me, my failures, my remorse, my regret, my discouragement, the love of Jesus requires that we leave all of that behind. The focus is not on the seed. The focus is on the love of God. The theologian David Benner, who I just love, says that a Christian conversion is not merely about encountering love, nor is it about developing new theologies or new ideas or new values. 
about love. We like to look at love. My brother-in-law, he'll uh, go and test drive cars, you know, really cool convertible cars. He'll, uh, he'll take out my sister and the two of them will go test drive um, a nice car on a nice day, take it out for a spin, then he'll come back and be like, no, no we're, we're not buying today. Thanks. Here, here are the keys. And that's been like a fun afternoon for him. Me, I, I, I can't. I can't do that. Like I don't, I don't quite have the guts to go in and test drive something that I have zero intention of buying. But Christians do that all the time with love. We like to test drive love. We like to window shop, admire it, be kind of warmed by the presence of looking at love and counting. Oh, that's so nice. We like to, you know, develop new ideas and theologies about love. But that is not Christian conversion, he says. Christian conversion, neither is it committing myself to trying to be more loving. We make promises to love. New Year's resolutions about love. Oh, you know, God is love and I'm going to I'm going to love this neighbor who's difficult to love. God is love and I'm going to love myself. Christian conversion is not about merely encountering love or developing new theologies or ideas about love or trying to become more loving. Christian conversion involves becoming love. And like all becoming That occurs on the Christian spiritual journey. Becoming love involves dying to ourselves. We don't like to surrender to love. We want to try it on. We want to experiment with love. We want to use love when it is useful to us. But the Christian life is one of death and resurrection that involves totally giving ourselves over to the God who is love. When the path of our life, our life is kind of a, a horizontal line doing our, our, our thing, is, is um, intersected by the love of God. That's where we see the cross, where our path is interrupted and changed and transformed by the vertical love of God. That's when we are converted to being true Christians, to really following the way of God. When our life is changed and transformed by the awesome power of God's love and we surrender to that love, that is when we become fully Christian, fully followers of Jesus Christ. We meet God's love in the cross not simply encountering some you know, judicial problem, uh, solution for the problem of sin, not simply encountering uh, uh, the heart of the Christian faith, but encountering God's power of love over our lives. The Christian life is about Jesus' death and resurrection because that's how we live fully into what Jesus has for us, transforming us not just improving us. Conversion means saying yes to that every day. Following Jesus means saying yes to that every day. Yes, Jesus, I open myself up to your love, to your transformation. Yes, I surrender. Yes, I will let my seed die. I will let go of that because we live under the rule of life. You know, not not worldly cycles of shame or, or should or would or could or oughts or can'ts. We live under life, under Jesus's full, free, transforming, expansive life that he has given us. So we can let 
our seed go, we can let go of self-preservation. We can let go of keeping our life the way it is, what feels comfortable and normal and secure. And we can surrender to Jesus's love. We have new life. It is certain. It is set. It is bought by Jesus's death. It is guaranteed. If we just say yes, and we surrender to it. Let's pray together, friends, and welcome Jesus' transforming work in our life. Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to work hard to improve or, or change or should or would the oughts of life that, that uh, hinder us and tie us down. We just need to let go and surrender to the transforming force of your love. And Jesus, I pray for uh, anyone right now who has things that they're just really holding on to, that self-preservation. And I invite you in this moment just to examine your heart. Are you trying to, to save your life the way it is? Or are you willing to let it go to the force of Jesus' love? And if there are ways that you're holding on to that seed, not letting it go to Jesus' transformation, I invite you right now to just surrender. We have nothing to be afraid of. God is for us. He is with us. He is working all things together for our good. We thank you. We praise you. We say this morning, with everything that we can, with everything that we know of, the best we know how, we surrender to your love. Would you transform us in Jesus' name?